Today's episode is being sponsored by Kingsley 1945 watches. To check out the Kingsley 1945 collection, go to www.amitdevhonda.com and click on the Kingsley 1945 collection on the upper right-hand corner. On today's episode, I talked to a good friend and colleague, Chris Clefani. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On the phone with my dear friend and old colleague, uh, Chris Clefani. How are you, Chris? Good, good. Good, hanging in there, staying busy, trying are to make you, some money here in the financial world. So, without going completely batshit crazy bananas. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. Trying to keep my sanity in the world of COVID. You know? It's it's incredible. I I know Chris um, for many years. What years, Chris? Would you say we've known each other? We go back to I started with Longines in in the summer of 1997. I started. Um, Initially, I was down in, like, mid-Atlantic, and then yep. I think it was the following year in 98 that I um, I took over New England also. So, I, I you know, I, I know you since 98, you know, that's, I would say since early 98. That's a long fucking time, dude. That's long like, time. It's <laughs> like, like 22 years. And for those of I you who, who don't know Chris... He's certainly one of the most humble people I know and one of the nicest people I know and one of the most loyal people I know. He already has a big head. I don't need to increase the size, but uh, but, but what I will say is that um, there are very few people in this industry, Chris, as you know, that um, 22 years later, you could still be friends with, still talk to as if it was yesterday. And... We may not talk all the time, but I I certainly feel that way. I don't know about you. I think it's uh, it's yeah, uh, it's, absolutely none. Yeah, I'm glad we kept in touch. And, you know, yeah, we go back so long, and we did so much business together. And you know, I just remember walking in and see, <laughs> seeing you for the first time in this oversized jacket that was way too big for you, with with, with, your, with, with your hair slicked back. And I'm like, who the fuck is the spaghetti twirling, good-looking good, good Italian guy that's uh, that's behind the long jeans counter? And, that's right. And I just remember, um, you, even then, like, like you, you were so, you were always so accessible. I think that you know a lot of reps because you know uh, Chris was our sales rep when I was in retail. Chris was our sales rep for Longines watches, and we were—I don't know, Chris—would you say we were probably at that time one of the biggest Longines dealers in the country, or at least on the East Coast? Yeah, definitely on the East Coast. I mean, you guys were—you know—were uh, probably top, you know, top five easy. I mean, on the West Coast, of course, you know, it was the brand did did better out in uh, California with the Chinese accounts, you know, with Chongqing and everybody. So, but you guys were, uh, you know, were definitely a top top five account in those days, and uh, and I remember, I remember the original store. You know, you guys were were down the street um, on fifty seven location, right? 50, right, fifty seven JFK Street and Harvard Square, right? And had the restaurant. They had that that nice Indian restaurant upstairs. 
Yeah, my and, uncle, uh, my uncle owned that restaurant, and um, yeah, was, I remember eating there. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I, I remember seeing you for the first time, and you had a suit on, and you had those red sneakers, those like flashy <laughs> red sneakers, and I was like, oh my god, who is who is this guy? <laughs> we were both thinking, who is this guy? Ex- that- exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was but, like a clash of cultures. Yeah. It, it's so. pretty. It's pretty insane. I remember then, like a year or two later, it's like a it's like a heavy snowstorm, and me, you, I think my sister and Marlene from Blancpain were yeah. dancing our ass <laughs> off at at, at at well. Let's put it this way: I was dancing with Marlene while <laughs> while you and my sister had to watch. It was like the worst things that could go wrong. Not went wrong, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. You know when that was I met, I, I'll never forget it because sadly enough, um, the following day, my dad passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that, yep. Chris. I'm my, so the sorry. The following day, yeah, it, my, I never forget that. You're right. I was, we were up in Boston. I, it was a Saturday because we had some kind of event, I believe. Yes. And, and I was coming back on the train the following morning this is december of 01 wow wow and i and i got the call on the train that my you know my dad had passed he had a bad heart he had a heart attack and he had heart issues and uh sorry that sucks man yeah yeah i never forget i mean we had a great time that night and then the following morning uh i got into newark penn station and uh you know i hopped a cab to jersey because my dad was in jersey city that's where i grew up and uh, I remember hopping in a cab and, you know, going to my dad's house. And, you know, he was he had just passed. He was he was in the living room. The paramedics had worked on him. You know, they couldn't revive him. And, uh, yeah, oh, I never forget that. But, yeah, man, I remember. So sorry. I had no idea about that, dude. That must have been so yeah. hard for you. Like, yeah, I guess I. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, yeah, maybe I never told you. But, yeah, yeah. But, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah and, but I remember. And, 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 and people, Chris is not one to divulge personal information like that freely with just anybody. So, you know, that's a, yeah. it's a, it's a yeah. pretty personal thing, and I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm sorry for your loss, man. Yeah, no, that's all right. That was a long time ago. Yep. But, the, but it's yep. crazy. That's how far we go back. That's, like, that was, like, the, begin, the beginning of, like, really, like, I think when we, after that night, I think you and I, we it, like somehow things were different between us. They were more, uh, more personal. Maybe uh, I think right. we had, we had broken that barrier, and right, um, it, right, and, yeah. And and we were in the midst of shit snowstorm, and yep. I just remember like we were like, should we go? Should we not go? And I was like really hot for Marlene, and she was right. like a, she was like a married woman. She's like this beautiful Dominican. Billy, yeah, you know, from she, New York, kind of. <laughs> I don't think she was married. I don't think she was married, but she was very pretty. Yeah, I remember. But she I, did have I'm, a kid with a guy, like she that did. much. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so yeah. I'm, I'm like, who is this horny little Indian <laughs> running, running after this woman? He doesn't have a shot in hell. Then. Right. But, 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 but somehow, I don't know. Somehow, even then. Um, I think it was endearing for Marlene, and she just went with it. Like, right. To some right. degree, she's like, there's nothing I can possibly fucking do. 
<laughs> you were irresistible, you know. I I, I try, I try. You, it was you tried it was, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Chris, then it was amazing. What year? Like then, you know. I think that I mean I think at the time to me probably from my point of view, the 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 job all other jobs came to you, the opportunity to become, you know, the East Coast rep for Panerai. Um, right. I, yeah. I, I, rem- I remember uh, Philippe Bonnet calling three people, and I think he'd called Cellini, he had called uh, the guys from Tourneau, and he had called me to see right. what what kind of person you are. And at that time, we had Panerai probably all, two years already. So you joined in like what, 04, 03? Yeah, it was actually June of 04, June uh, of 04. that I joined Panerai. And um, I had been recommended to Philippe uh, by Richard Cornelia, who yep. was the buyer at Tourneau. That's correct, yep. Right, and Philippe was looking for somebody because um, what was the Italian guy that was there? He was, he was kind of uh, Flavio, whacked out. Fl- yeah, Flavio. Flavio. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was a... <laughs> oh my I, God! I heard many Flavio stories. I never had actually met Flavio, but there were a lot of good stories. And I mean, uh, he's like the horniest guy I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just like, right. dude, that's not natural. Um, right. Right. Yeah. But but yep. uh, yeah yeah yeah. Character. But but you started in '04, which was actually also a pivotal year for me because I got to work with President Bill Clinton. And I had sold right. him. Uh, I had sold him two Panerai watches. I think maybe even three. And I educated him on the brand. And I just remember when I got the call from Philippe, I said, "You don't even have to think. Chris is one of the very few who you don't have to worry about. He has a right. work ethic like like nobody else. And I've always thought incredibly highly of you. And when you became the rep, um, I think it just became." We even, we had more fun. We did more. We went out more. We did more. Um, oh yeah. And and we sold a lot of fucking pieces. Um, we did yeah yeah a lot of Panerai's boy in those years. Yeah, we did some great events and and uh, yeah, I mean the brand was just so so crazy hot, you know. Uh, what what do you think Chris attributed? Because I mean today we're looking at a very different world for Panerai. It's not the it's not the the hot brand that it used to be. In fact, it's right. it's almost considered, I mean, I'm sorry to use this word, but in a way, in some circles, it's like considered a prostituted brand because it's like, right. because it's, it's had, you know, they've pushed the button and made too many watches and became available everywhere and every piece looked the same and there was no ingenuity behind it. Like, you saw the brand when it was, I think you saw the brand as it was, maybe coming down its peak, you know, like, I don't know if, if that's how you see it, but you were in the midst of it when it was hot, but I think oh, yeah. a couple of years later or a year later, it kind of was dipping. Am I wrong with those dates? I would say that the brand really started to catch fire probably a couple of years prior, like when right. you guys got it, right? right? So when I started in June of 04, right. the brand was, it was already, it was already hot. Right. And, I would say it really peaked in 06, a couple right. of years later. Yeah. Um, really, at, at when it was just like crazy hot, it, it, it peaked. It, it started to slow, I, I sensed, like in 07. Okay. It started to slow like a little when bit. We, when, when we left, basically, we left December of 07. So, right. 
So right. it uh, kind of what was it was. It, yeah, I would say, and and reason why is that they they did they ramped up production quite a bit, and they really at that point had raised prices so much. You know, like a a basic 104 automatic when I had started was like 3900. And That's it was right. just a, you know, it was an automatic steel case value movement. I mean, even at 3900, that was <laughs> that was a bit crazy. I mean, that that watch went up like two thousand dollars, you know, by like oh seven oh eight, you know. Yeah. So absolutely. it was just so it, they really it started to slow down. You know, Philippe. See, the great thing about Philippe is that he had such great instincts at that time, and he was the one. And he left also, if you remember, in the fall of 07 to go to, to Brightland. Go to, to, oh, that's right, where they picked him up he, on the side of the road. Yep. Yeah, 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 he, yeah, yeah. He, he went to Brightling, and, you know, he got, you know, a great offer from them. But, you know, Philippe really held back Angelo, you know, as far as, you know, too much product in the U.S. You know, he had great instincts. He knew that it was basically, you know, obviously it was one case. It was a Luminor case. They tried over the years to promote, you know, Radium Mirror, but it just never worked. And um, so Philippe, I think, was a big factor in, in why the brand was so hot, you know, up until that point, because he really was a, he was the only one that could really hold the floodgates back, you know. Um, Angelo always wanted to push more product in the market because the U.S. was, was the best market, you know, it was better than what? Europe. It was, and, you know, a lot better than Asia. So, and for those of you who don't, who, who are asking, like, who is this Philippe guy? This is Philippe Bonnet, who's the current North American president for Panerai. Um, right. He, he, right. he, he actually was very instrumental in the success of Panerai, especially in the United States. Um, he, he, he was with uh, Piaget before that. Um, right. With, with Bob Pelosi. Right. Right. And and uh, Bob Filotti and like at the time I remember was running Panerai. Um, yeah, because they you know when they launched Panerai, you know it was so it was the brand was nothing it was just being launched so they kind of grouped it in with with Piaget, so that's how Bob Filotti, you know became like the initial brand manager of Panerai, because you know they were just starting and Philippe was the marketing. He was doing marketing at that time, and then he eventually, you know, took over as the brand. Uh, I think in '02, that was that Philippe, you know, initially took the brand, um, you know, independent of Piaget. So, um, but yeah, that was, yeah, a, that, was, was, that was a very green Philippe. It was a very, yeah, very. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. A, that was a young Bonnet at that time. Yeah, but he. Uh, <laughs> He understood. I mean, Philippe understood the market, and and uh, he understood that you really needed to, you know, to keep it scarce, you know, to build, you know, create that demand. And, and because uh, and because he was incredibly awkward, and also smart at the same time, it kind right. of play, it played into his favor because you've got the hottest brand in the fucking world, and because. In a way, it's awkward for him in social situations. We've all seen it. Um, right. <laughs> um, it's it kind of played into the fact that a, what is this brand, and b, who is this guy? 
and it right. it, pl- it played into the it, mystery of the brand it, even more, it, it, which it, which created more desire. You know what I mean? Right. Like like you know most presidents would make speeches and be you know especially in that position have a very gregarious sort of personality around it, but Philippe kind of kept it buttoned up, and I think in hindsight yeah. it was extremely smart um, yeah. because everyone's licking your nutsack and you're not saying in words. You're just right. like, you're just right. like nodding your head like, okay, you know, and yet he, he also knew technical information. And when he did speak, it was just like, you felt like these pearls were coming out of his mouth. Like you were right. just like, wow, like you actually, yeah. you actually talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. We kept it, you know, we kept it very under the radar that that was his, you know, style and his strategy. And you remember, like, the events, like, those events in those years that we used to do, they weren't big, you know, events. We, we kept it very quiet, like small dinners. You know, we, we, we kept it limited in the number of people. So, again, it, cre- it created that mystique. And it's what really, you know, you know created that demand. We didn't have big build-outs and big events. And, you know, so it was very under the radar you know, very scarce and, and, uh, and that just fed it, you know, that, that fed into it, you know, and that was really, I think that was, you know, really all Philippe. Um, it was, it, it was you because know. another smart thing too, which was, thank God you had these two women. I don't know if they were both there at that time when you were there, but you, you had Lisa and you had Stephanie Rue. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they, and they, and, and I don't know if it was just because of Philippe, because Philippe was consciously doing it or unconsciously doing it, but they, they kind of were the pretty faces, right? Behind the brands right. also yeah. that were like, the, cause they knew that Philippe was not going to speak or they knew that please don't let him speak or <laughs> what, what, whatever was going on that day. And it was smart because again, it kind of, you're wondering who this, who this wizard of Oz is behind the curtain. Um, right. And right. how much of a, you know, how much was Angelo Bonatti involved? You know, I mean, you'd have meetings, you'd go to Italy, right? I'm sure. And you'd go to Switzerland and all these, these things. And right. you've, you've met with Mr. Bonatti, I'm sure. Um, Mr. Bonatti is really responsible for bringing Panerai to where I think it, it was at the time, right? He was a main, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it, it's his, it was his baby. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was picked by by uh, Rupert, you know, by I believe. Well, he was no, actually, <clears throat> I think the guy that that had selected Angelo was um, uh, what was his name? He was an Italian guy who was on the the board of Richmond. Um, oh, that's Flavio's uh, uncle. He, uh, yes, yes, that was the uncle. Uh, 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 was his name Coloni, I think. He was Coloni, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I think he was involved with Cartier and um way back and he had selected Angelo to, you know, when they when they bought the brand, when they bought the rights to the brand from the Panerai family, you know, in the late nineties, he had selected Angelo to actually, you know, launch it, you know, around the world. And uh yeah, and he did. I mean he literally traveled around the world with a briefcase of a few samples and, you know, and introduced the watches and, uh, and, you know, he was the guy, he was really the father of the brand as far as, uh, you know, creating the product and, and, and looking back at the history of Panerai and, uh, 
you know, and launching all the products, you know, um, and everything like that. I mean, that was the great thing about Panerai is that, you know, it, it, it had a real history. You know, it really was. It came from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It came from somewhere. I mean, it it was really, you know, Panerai, the, the family were, you know, they made instruments, mechanical instruments in Italy for many years. You know, in the 30s, they did come up with a diving watch, these, you know, Navy uh, commandos. And, and, you know, the original watches were really made by Rolex for all intents and purposes. Um, and, uh, and there was a history. There was a, there was a history of design, of, you know, of, of functionality. And, and uh, you know, Angelo took that and, and really created, you know, created this brand, you know, from that history. So... It's amazing. Um, By the way, Panerai is the only watch brand that I'm aware of that Rolex has ever worked with. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, because and, cause they had that connection with, with Rolex because the family had the little watch shop in Florence, yeah. and they sold Rolexes. So when, you know, when they were asked to make a diving watch, they basically just turned to Rolex, and, and that's really who, who made the original pieces, you know. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, those original watches had Rolex movements, and they were essentially blown-up oyster cases. You know, they, that's exactly they, right. That's exactly right. They took right. the oyster case from from Rolex, which you know, years ago, back in the '30s, watches were were, were very small. Yep. But they created this blown-up version, this 47 millimeter. You know, and that, essentially, that's what became the Radiomir case. Exactly. And and just for those of you who are unaware. If it weren't for Rolex making oversized oyster cases for Panerai, the Rolex Submariner would never have come out. So, um, right. in a way, Panerai is responsible for Rolex's, uh, you know, the Submariner being the most definitive dive watch in history, period. Um, right. Which is right. huge. I wish they would work together again today. I think it would be awesome. Um, oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. the, 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 the Panerai's with original Rolex line movements go for, you know, in their heyday, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, oh, yeah. um, very, 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 very rare and very hard to find and very cool. And I remember actually the first meeting I ever had when we were at 57 JFK Street, this is going back to maybe 2001. Uh, we had gotten Panerai, I think, in 2001 and Philippe was sitting in that little, side room where my dad had meetings. I don't know if you remember that room, but it was like a little side room um, that faced the street and, right. it was, and it was enclosed. And there was a, you know, there was a, a desk with like four chairs and, and Philippe was in there. And I just remember, you know, my dad saying, go in there and talk to Philippe and, and see what this brand is all about. And the first thing I said to him is I was like, do you guys have anything to do with Rolex? And he was just like blown away that I, that I could, that I even, could re- reference that just by a picture in an ad right. of, of a radio mirror. And I said, well, these are essentially blown up Rolex cases. Um, right. And right. he was just like, wow. He's like, I- I'm surprised you picked up, picked up on that. So right. I, I, I had a very, very instant connection with Panera, I think, before we even got the brand. Because do you remember Martin, who used to work for us? Irish yeah, guy? Yeah, sure. Irish guy, yeah. Yeah, he he's really responsible, I think, in a, in a big way for my 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 obsession and my passion and my, you know, wanting to know more about watches other than just the way it looked. You know, he he really 
broke it down for me. And he was talking about Panerai probably, you know, in 98 to me. Right. Like he, he, and he knew about it. And he was constantly, like, watch magazines were, like, porn for most guys, you know? He would, he'd have his little fucking watch magazine in a bag all crumpled up. I'm like, what do you do with this thing, dude? <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, we, I, got, I remember getting my first Panerai, the Pam 90, and then from there, I got the 112, and then I, it just, I, I mean, I probably at one time had 15 Panerais. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you, were, were, do you still have any of your Panerais? Yeah, I, I have, uh, I have um, a Radiomere, um, uh, which they had given me, and then also um, I have a Luminor, uh, a 104, which I had oh, gotten cool. also. Yeah. Very, very, yep. very, very cool. Now, like yep. when you when you started wearing it, I know it may sound weird, but I know a lot of my um, it's just something I noticed, especially with my Italian clients. Um, they're kind of when they put one on, their chest kind of popped out more, you know, like they were. proud. Oh, yeah. yeah, they were proud. They somehow felt more Italian because they're wearing this brand. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, it was, uh, you know, pride thing. Yeah. Um, and it was it was fun to see, man, like. You know the events that we had, the 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 gatherings that you did, the just the attention to detail. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you remember Panarisi. Did you ever interact with those guys? Did you ever? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. They were, um, you know, they would come to events and and uh, and yeah, we would do some things with them. They, um, you know, Panerai Corporate, you know, basically as time went on, tried to. I would say they tried to distance themselves from Panarisi a little bit. Like they tried not to do too much with them um, for whatever reasons. Um, You know, early on, I think they did, you know, more collaboration with them. Um, So they, I don't know, it was kind of an odd relationship. I would say they, you know, as the brand got bigger, you know, Panarisi, you know, Italy corporate, you know, tried to keep, you know, somewhat of a distance from them. But yet now there are all these special edition Panerisi watches that are made like every year for the yeah, last. And that, yeah. And they, I guess they still do. I mean, I, uh, you know, uh, I don't keep track that closely anymore, but, um, but yeah, I mean, when I was there, right, they would do, you know, different special editions for them and, and everything like that to keep, you know, to keep that connection going and everything. So, um, yeah, and I guess they still do, you know. Whoever whoever created Panerisi, I know Guy Verbeek created Panerisi, but whoever took it over from that point really dropped the ball because if they were smart, they could have really monetized it because they became a reference tool for Panerai collectors. I mean, they became the source that people went to get their information on Panerai, and in some cases, Panerai themselves would go there. I mean, right, it was, right, you know, yeah. it was too bad because it was really, it was a great tool. It also became, I think it also became like a giant, like, you know, frat house, right? Where it was just like a big jerk off session for guys that couldn't afford Panerai watches. Um, right, you know, and, right. And, you know, who wanted to high five each other for every little thing they said. But I think as years went on, I think a lot of those guys, a lot of the original guys kind of kind of became uh, disillusioned, let's say, because, you know, as prices went higher and as, you know, Panerai ramped up production and they, you know, they, they, they kind of, uh, 
you know, would reintroduce a watch that they had made earlier, you know, and just made a little change. So, you know, and then they'd reintroduce it as a special edition again. So a, a lot of those guys, I think, became disillusioned and thought that Panerai kind of bastardized the brand, you know, in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, um, so definitely I think a lot of the original guys kind of, you know, kind of dropped off as, as years went on, you know. Um, but, I, you know, it was a, quite a phenomenon. I mean, you know, to have that following, to have that cult following, I mean, no, you know, no other brand I, I don't think ever had that the way Panerai had it, you know, back in those years. So It must have been um, so polarizing for you to go from a brand that, like, hardly sold. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. In, in America, especially. <clears throat> To a brand that yeah. you couldn't you couldn't get enough of, like yeah, it was totally the opposite. I mean, Longines was a great product; it still is a great product, you know, for the price. Of but Absolutely. it just never sold here. You know, it sold great in China, but there was you know the turn was terrible here in the U.S. and it had really no name recognition. And then Panerai was just the opposite. You know, the turn was ridiculous. Um, you know. And you couldn't keep it in stock. So, um, I mean, in those years, I remember walking into, you know, your store, walking into Tourneau, and there was there were no watches in the case. I mean, it was it was it was insane. There was you know one or two watches in the case, and uh, you know, I remember Tourneau. They used to you know get angry. They were, <laughs> you know, I'd walk in the store, and they'd yell at me, you know. But it was like you know we had we had no product. You know, it was it was just crazy. You know, but that's what kept kept it going. You know, kept that that demand going and that mystique. So, um, but you know, it's changed now. You know, as you know, it's it's not it's not a big wholesale brand anymore. Yeah, you know, it's become more of a boutique brand. Yeah. Um I, I think it's become more of an East Coast West Coast brand. You know, um, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the direction that they've gone, you know. Um, you know, it's definitely more retail and, uh, and would you say? you know. Would you say that it got more political as the years went on? Or would you say it was political from the moment you started? You know how these brands are. They talk with both sides of their mouth. Like, is it? Is, right. Is there was there more of that? Did you feel like there was it got there was more red tape because it was becoming more of a corporatized brand? Because I remember in the beginning it was just like this very small, even though it was owned by Richemont, it felt right. like a very small boutique brand, which is right. kind of what they're trying to go for now, but they're not succeeding because it, there's too many pieces. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as the brand got bigger. Um, you know, the direction that they, you know, they needed to do, you know, it, it became a big moneymaker for Richmond. And uh, it was the most, always the most profitable brand because um, although I've never seen numbers, I don't know what the cost of production uh, was on the watches. I mean, I always, you know, assumed uh, that honestly, the watch wasn't that expensive to make, right? You know, versus what they charged in price. I mean, it was a pretty simple watch. Absolutely, um, especially the earlier the, ones, the 111s, yeah. the 112s, all those. Like you said, the 104s. 
the 88s, the 90s. Those were all basic fucking movements that you can find in long they, jeans or Tissot's or, or yeah. you know, uh, yeah, they were fifty dollar Valjoux movements or whatever. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's what they you know they bought the movements from Swatch Group, you know. Um, yeah, and they charged you know an amazing amount of money. I mean, you know, it's not that it doesn't cost that much to stamp out a steel case. Let's face it, you know. So it was it was always a very profitable brand. It was a cash cow for for Richmond, and uh, and you know what happened really was. My feeling is after 08, when when everything crashed, when the economy crashed here, yeah, um, it really felt like the lights went out on Panerai because, you know, up until that point, um, you know, we had a big wholesale network. We only really had the one boutique in L.A. Yeah. New York had just opened at the tail end of 08. That's right. And, you know, I mean, inventory levels had, had gone up, but, you know, we still but wasn't wasn't that bad and then when everything crashed you know i think Panerai got hit the hardest because you know we went from a brand that was scarce overnight because there was way too much product out there right and unfortunately you know italy kept shipping product and that's really when it got really when a decline happened because you know they still you know, they were pushing way too much product in because they wanted to make numbers and they wanted to make a budget. Yeah. And it really, it really hurt the brand. And from that point, that's when they started then the boutique, going the boutique route where retail, they wanted to open up, you know, their their original intent was to open up many, many more boutiques. Uh, But it just didn't work. You know, it, it, it didn't work. So, in those years then between when I left uh, at the end of 16, early 17, you know, the boutiques had become much more important. Uh, wholesale really dropped off. Um, and, 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 and even more so now, I mean, from what I hear in the market is that, you know, wholesale is, is pretty slow. It's uh, and, and, you know, it, it's become really uh, an afterthought, you know, they're, their emphasis really has been on retail and, uh, and, and e-commerce, you know, and e-commerce. So, you know, that's the direction that they've gone. In. Um, and, you know, the other issue with Panerai is that, you know, in those years in the early 2000s, you know, it was new and Luminor was new and it was a unique design, but, the strength of Panerai is Luminor, but the weakness of Panerai is Luminor because it's the only case. You can, they can't sell anything else. Yep. You know, so everything has to be a variation of Luminor. And, you know, it's hard to keep it fresh because you only have one case to work with. So, yeah, and, and they're primarily you know, known for their simple classic design. So you can't right. really the, – the ones that are overly – technical are not the ones that are selling the ones that are selling are the ones that are simple you know right and because then, that's panerai right and then you know that's i think panerai. around the around the same time i mean i know do you remember we did an event in new york i think in hudson was it hudson yards or we did do you remember we did an event when in in 05 or 06 i don't yeah when remember. they when they brought all the well, the vintage pieces when they, yeah. when they had all the museum pieces. Yeah, that was somewhere downtown, I think it was, in Chelsea or 
something like that. Um, yeah, that we did so that cool. Yeah, so cool. yeah, and they had all the the 30s and 40s and 50s pieces there and stuff. But yeah, I mean that was you know that was Panerai. It was it was not supposed to be a Torbjorn watch. It, right. It, it it wasn't a minute repeater watch. It was a it was a functional watch. It was a simple. Tool. It yeah. was a tool. It was a exactly. It was uh you know another instrument. You know, it was a, um, it was a utilitarian watch that was. It, Really, exactly. really like another, it was like the Rolex of our time, you know, like in yep. that way that it had that utility, it had that wearability, it had that accessibility. I mean, I think part of the fun, I think, for me to collect Panerai, at least in the early days, was that it was very affordable. Um, right, right. Like, yep. like, like you didn't, you, you, like, it, it, there was never a question like, can I afford this? Even if you didn't have the money, it was like, if I save up for a year, I'm, I'm sure I can afford that, you know? Right. Whereas some watches right. you'll never, ever be able to afford, you know? Right. So, so, and then on top of that, they had a great resale value, you know? Like at one time, they had a phenomenal exactly. resale value. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, resale value was always, um, you know, Rolex, Paddock, and Panerai were the, you know, the top resale brands. I, I It still may be that way. I'm not sure. I think, uh, you know, this... The, the watch industry now is just so screwed up. I think there's so many brands that are underwater now, you know, from what I hear, um, you know, that don't have a very good resale value. You know, Rolex is, you know, the Paddock, obviously, or the Kings, I think, you know, Audemars, I, I think, because they have really controlled things. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It's probably very good. Uh, Panerai, I think, is okay. It's not, it's not what it was, you know, um, I don't, I don't believe, but, uh, but, but that was the strength of the brand back then was, was the secondary market, you know, was the resale value and, and, uh, and, you know, again, the, the, the prices weren't crazy. I mean, they, they really had raised them way too much. They had to bring them down, yeah. you know, at, yep. at a point where things were just out of hand. Um, and, uh, you know, so they did have the lower prices and, and things. And I, I think now they've, they've introduced a lot in the lower price point. They have. Uh, also, you know, 5,000, 6,000 range. But, yeah, the challenge is to keep it, you know, you have one case and, and to keep it fresh and, you know, to, to, to keep the interest, you know, going, you know, all within really, you know, that one Luminor case. So, um you know, I, I saw some piece they were making recently that was a was like a mini luminor. It just looked weird, you know. <laughs> it was like it, it was a gold piece and it was tiny. I mean, it had to be, I don't know, make like a thirty-eight millimeter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yep, you know, like and the luminor do. Yeah, it, it just looked silly to me. I mean, it was just like it's just not Panerai, you know. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure they struggled to. To, to reach more people and, you know, et cetera. Um, I think you left at the perfect know. time, Chris, honestly. I know, like, now, I mean, and now you're doing something completely different. You're not in the watch industry anymore. Right. Um, do, do, do you miss it? I mean, do you I, miss I do. Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I miss um, – there's definitely aspects about about the industry I miss. You know, I, I miss a lot of the people – um, you know, I, I actually kind of missed traveling and being out, you know, in the market and stuff like that, you know, um, I mean, Panerai, it did get boring, um, you know, after being there for almost, you know, 13 years and, 
and uh, and wholesale they, you know, they kind of treated you like you were kind of a second class citizen because all the emphasis was on retail, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So that that kind of hurt. No, it, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. Um, but but I, you know, I do I do miss different aspects of the industry and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. It really it, was. It uh, was even with your la- even even with your last president that I know, knew of, um, Raphael. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And God yeah. bless him, but he was like a fucking animal. Um, <laughs> he was he, he was a party. He partied a bit too much, you know. He, so he, yeah. had, he had some issues. Yeah, yeah. He definitely did, but it, it just <laughs> I, I I don't know, Chris. Like I remember going like some of my best memories are going to. You know, would you, I can't remember, you were at SIHH, right? You didn't go every year, but sometimes you would go? No, I went, we, yeah, we went every year. Yeah, yeah, you, every did, year, yeah. And did you stay at the Wilson or the Edison? No, we always stayed at that hotel. It was a couple of blocks from the Wilson. We didn't stay at the uh, at the Wilson. Okay, um, so, so it was the Edison that you guys stayed at? Yeah, it was the, uh uh, they changed the name of it, but yeah, it was something like that. It was a, it was a couple of blocks away, but then we always hung out at the Wilson and, you know, at the bar and everything. So that was fun. Uh, it know, was just, just going to SIHH and sitting with Philippe and my dad and sister would sit on the side and Philippe would be like, okay, let's go through, you know, reference by reference. I have you right. down for, I have you down for four <laughs> and I, I have you down for four and I'd be like, I want 20. He'd be like, okay, 15, you know, it was like. I know, it was all, it was all nonsense, you know. It was, it was absolute bullshit. And that, I know. that's what was fun, like just uh, yep. Yep. being able to bullshit with people that, honestly, you spend more time with some of these people than you do your whole, own family. I'm oh, sure. sure. You, I'm sure you yeah. can attest to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was it was uh, in those years. It was it, it was it was great. I mean, uh, SIHH and and those years, and you know, it was like a big party atmosphere. You know, um, you know, business was great and economy was great, and you know, everybody was doing well. And you know, even brands like Jaeger used to do well in those years. You know, <laughs> oh my God, how the fuck is that possible? Will that ever? Do you, do you think that will ever do well, Chris? Do you, I mean, oh my God, it's really difficult. You know, um, I don't see how some of these brands are, you know, will ever reach, you know, the the highs that they, you know, that they were at in those years. You know, um, well, you know, Jaeger is not a brand too that's for everyone, and there's not. I, I just don't think. I think it's a fantastic watch. I think they're very underrated for what they are. Um, and they, they were responsible for making Vacheron's movements at one time. They were responsible for right. Paddock's movements at one time. Um, you know, they're not to be underestimated, but it's just unfortunate that some brands, especially the older Swiss brands, some of them translate really well and some of them don't, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think yeah. Jaeger is one of those brands. But what were your favorite brands aside from the brands that you worked for? Like, what were the brands that you were like, damn, like, I wish I, I wish I kind of had a chance to work with that company or, um, or I wish I had a chance to own one of their timepieces. Obviously, you know, Rolex is, you know, an amazing brand. Um, you know, Rolex is an icon, 
though. You know, it's not just a watch company. It's, it's, it's transcended it's, that. It's yeah, it's really a cultural icon. You know, yep. um, uh, and I, I think honestly, Rolex has done a great job at updating their product over the yep. years. Yeah. Um, because there was a time when Rolex was a bit sleepy and the product was kind of old. Yeah. And uh, I, I think they've done an amazing job at 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 updating the product and making it, you know, fresh and et cetera. Um, I, I, you know, I like products that brands that I think are a good, you know, good value that, that the product I think is, is, is great for the price. You know, I, I think Omega is a great brand in Swatch Group. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great product, uh, probably one of the best products out there uh, at, a, at a very good price. Um, yep. You know, so I, I was always, you know, brands that were these high-end, high-end brands charge so much money. I don't know. I, I was always really, like, skeptical of brands like that, you know. Is it, like, what are you really getting, you know? Sure. I mean, I guess it's one thing if you're Bill Gates and you can throw money at everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah, really yeah. matter. But, you know, some of these crazy brands like Roger Dupuis, and I mean, it's like, what, why? You know, like, why Why would anybody <laughs> spend that kind of money on, on, on this watch? You know, what are you really, you I know, what are you really the, getting? You I know? guess it's the same thing as, like, why is there a Bugatti Veyron? Or why is there, you know, I mean, there are people who have ridiculous amounts of money that you and I may never see in this lifetime. That right. have to, that have to spend it. So I think they're made for people like that. But I, I understand what you're saying. Like there, you know, there's a point where you're just like, why? I think also, I mean, on the high end, I I think it would have been cool to sell. And and some brands I think can get away with it because they make very few pieces, like an Epijorn or yep. Richard Mill. I think those brands, you know, they're only making a thousand to three thousand pieces. Yeah. Okay. You know, and they do they do some really different things, and they charge you know ridiculous amount of money, but the, you know the brand's so limited. You know, so that that's you know versus like you know Vacheron, like wh- you know why are you going to buy a Vacheron? What what you know? Yeah. You know why not just go and buy a if you want something like that, you're going to buy a Patek because it holds its value. It's the Rolex know? of the high end. You know? Exactly. So these other brands, it's like you know why. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, the other brand of co- cool brand, of course, is Audemars. I always thought they were grossly overpriced also, but, but they, they do make cool pieces. You know, um, they really do keep the production very tight. I believe yeah. they keep it around 40,000 pieces and they've really, you know, I mean, now it's pretty much just boutiques, you know, they don't really have wholesale anymore. So you know, yeah, they've I mean, done a remarkable job. I mean, like like the yeah. Royal Oak, the Royal Oak to me is is a date just or a luminor on a different day. It's just as iconic. It's uh, I think right. every every guy should have one. It's funny when I was in retail, and I you know I wasn't I wasn't an Audemars fan at that time, and I would call it the Royal Joke. You know, right? And I you know I at the same time I now in the last five years ten years. You know, when you grow up a little bit and you and you kind of become humbled um, through life experience, you realize, wow, this watch is actually pretty cool. Like it's really well machine, it's really well machined, really well finished. 
and it's right. it's it's got its place in the pantheon of watches, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, I think they've done a great job too there at at over the years of of updating and and uh, you know keeping it limited and and keeping it cool, and they've done you know also marketing. I mean, it, I think that's where they've had the edge, like over a brand like Panerai, is that you know they have some great marketing. You know, they've really you know great spokespeople and. You know, it's a very cool brand, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where Panerai really isn't that. Maybe it was at one point, but it's not, it's not that, that cool brand. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, I I think, you know, it's It's a good brand. Yes. Yeah. It's a great product. It's, you know, it's very, you know, it's a sim, it's, it's, it's a very niche, you know, product, but it's not. You know, they they always wanted to be Audemars, but they they could because to me the product just wouldn't allow it. You know, it you know how 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 flashy can you make Illuminor? It's not in the DNA of the brand. You know, correct. So correct. They always wanted to be Audemars, but they couldn't they couldn't do it. So, um, it was but totally, yeah, those, you know, that's cool, man. So on a totally different topic, uh, you know, Chris and I were shooting the shit the other day and. Um, a colleague of ours in the industry, which I found very interesting, I didn't know this until Chris told me, is uh, basically verifying timepieces on eBay, um, which I didn't, oh, even, right. I, I didn't even know. I mean, I, I was always wondering if eBay would ever get their shit together, and I guess they have. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool, man, that they're doing that now. Like, now there's yeah. no... There's no question about, you know, is this real, is this not, you know? Right, right, yeah. Listen, I mean, the secondary market is so big now. Pre-owned watches, it's just so big that, uh, you know. It's its own category. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know. And again, I think it's because, um, you know, people are looking for a good value. Um, You know, they they like, they want to buy a watch, but, you know, uh, a new piece is just maybe, too expensive it's they don't see the value in it but if you can get a piece that's you know uh a year or two old or let's face it you know a lot of brands some product and you know what what's consider what's pre-owned is really just overstock so you know there's exactly that also <laughs> you know i so, when i when i was know. in retail i was like you know i would look at people who bought pre-owned like they were like bad or something you know, right. That's right. the that's the bullshit that you're taught. Now I'm like, are you sure you want to buy new? Like, right. you know, it's a, it's a totally different conversation. Yeah, uh, sure. Obviously, Chris, the industry has vastly changed over time since we since we've known each other. Right. Up, to, up till now, do you think that you know that whole experience of going to a store? I mean, might be forever changed because because of COVID. Um, I know. Yeah. But even before COVID, I mean, do you think that that experience is getting less and less now? I, I think what COVID did was speed things up. You know, um, you know this, you know, virtual world now. As far as um, you know, office space people working at a home, all this is going to have an impact, especially in the cities and especially in midtown Manhattan, where, um, you know, so much of, of business there was dependent on tourists and, and people uh, going to offices and working. 
and then shopping and living there. So, so I, I think COVID has kind of sped things up probably 10 or so years, you know, wow. but you know, in my opinion, um, I, you know, I think it'll come back, you know, to some degree, hope, hopefully, because you know, I don't know what's going to happen in a place like Manhattan, what's going to happen with all that, um, you know, office space again, which affects retail and it, you know, it, it, it affects everything, you know? So, but yes, I mean, prior to this, like, you know, I remember back in, you know, 15, 16, uh, you know, mall traffic, store traffic, you know, it was all, it was all going down because there was more, you know, buying online and, and, you know, and pre-owned online and, and everything like that. So, but I think there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be brick and mortar. I think people are always going to want to, you know, go out there and, and shop and, and look at pieces and touch and feel and, you know, so I think there'll be a balance. I mean, I think there will be stores, um, you know, as well as online and and everything like that. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to to see how everything shakes out when uh, when all this is over. Hopefully, you know, soon, um, and to see where you know where things end up. You know, but it's it's not going to be what it was. But again, it was kind of going that way anyway. You know. So well, definitely, Chris, and I, I. I wish nothing but the best to you and your family. I can't thank you enough for giving me your time, um, and I know that you know. I, I know you'll do well with whatever you do, and um, I wish you a very, very happy holiday season. And, and thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Thank you so I'll, much. I'll Be talk well. to you later. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. care, bro. Bye bye. Well, there we have it, folks. That was my one-on-one conversation with dear friend and old colleague Chris Clefani. I hope you all had a good, happy, healthy Thanksgiving and a wonderful holiday season to come. Don't forget to rock on, fly back, and stay happy.